ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Turkey is not the first destination that comes to mind for most Australians when planning a holiday. Here, in the arrivals hall of Istanbul Airport, Nicola van der Wettering is waiting to be reunited with her friend Katja, who she hasn't seen in almost four years. Here she comes, here she comes. Separated not just by COVID, but by a war that shaped the lives of millions in Katja's home country and beyond. <laughs> I could have got here sooner, but I decided to give this tiny package. Miyuki Okiranta here. In this episode of Earshots Remember Me series, we join Nicola as she reconnects with her friends she met, of all places, in the figure skating scene. Women from the Russian Federation who are striving to be remembered by the rest of the world in the face of a global conflict. Women who could risk it all by merely mentioning the word war and women who want the West to stop speaking for them so they can speak for themselves. And a warning, the following podcast contains confronting content and strong language. Yeah, it's like even the birds, everything is different <laughs> from Australia. <laughs> I have never been to Turkey before. To be honest, it's not a place that was really on my post-COVID travel list. Shall we, go, shall we go over here? Yeah, okay. But it is one of the few countries that still allow Russian tourists. Istanbul is loud. So loud, we decided to get out of town for a bit. I love how it looks completely like an elven forest. It's surreal to be jet-lagged, surrounded by a dense forest of rolling hills and exotic birds. And even more surreal, that I'm here with one of my best friends that I haven't seen in years. The structure of the trees is so very different in our home countries. So it's really great to just be here. It's a great place, trust me, it's beautiful. It's hard to believe, looking at the lime green canopy of trees, that in a distance only a little further than a drive from Sydney to Canberra, an all-encompassing geopolitical conflict is happening just across the Black Sea. Likewise, it's hard to believe that the friend I'm with has even agreed to be interviewed, despite the risks it could pose to herself, her career, and her family. I'm Katja, I'm 27. Uh, I was born and I do still live in Russia. I'm from Moscow, okay. It's, it's okay to say that I'm from Moscow because it has like so many people. When I went to Russia in 2019, people were like, are you even allowed to go to Russia? Like, I think people in Australia treat it almost like somewhere like North Korea. Well, it's getting worse, obviously, for the obvious reasons. When I was a kid, I thought that the Western culture is something cooler. Uh, but the older I get, the more I appreciate what I have, the background that I come from. My roots are very deep and it's not about something in particular. It's just all the big things and all the small things. It might go without saying, but Russia made a strong impression on me. 
From the people I met there, to the mind-blowing beauty and efficiency of the Moscow metro system, to T and Pishki, the Russia I visited in 2019 felt like the real Russia that my friends lived in, and not a strange fantasy presented by Hollywood or a depressing news program. A place, above all else, filled with contradictions. We saw each other last time, like almost four years ago, which is like scary. We all know each other because of the sports of figure skating. As any as anything, as like as my country as well. Uh, like the sports, it has of course terrible sides, but it also has the beautiful sides that make you come back to it. Visiting Russia to watch figure skating was wild. Katya wasn't the only friend I made in Russia at the skating. There's another of my close friends who couldn't make it to Turkey. Oh, Sasha is probably the first figure skating friend I made uh, in, in Russia at least. And yeah, we, we met on the internet. And Sasha is a quite beautiful photographer. Well, I like photography. I discovered I could also take pictures of figure skaters. And yeah, and that's how we met. Uh, yeah, we really hit it off. <laughs> I guess started talking when you came to Russia. Which I, well, I used to be <laughs> happy when people came to Russia for like our events. I'm speaking to Sasha through Telegram the Russian equivalent of WhatsApp. Sasha is still in Russia, separated from the rest of her family who now live in Europe. And despite her very personal misgivings with the way her country is run, she's chosen to stay there. I broadly identify as queer. In 2011, they introduced the gay propaganda law. <laughs> you can basically you can't talk about like LGBT people because those laws are so vague they are there to intimidate people into silence and into hiding, into fleeing, uh, despite all the dangers. The main part for me is the people and just how many wonderful queer people I know here. That's one of the reasons why I would find it very hard to leave. The gay propaganda laws that suppressed and outright removed LGBT content weren't the first nor the last of the Russian government's censorship program. In 2022, the Russian government began listing news sources and websites under their definition of extremist and terrorist platforms. Within just a few months, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube were no longer available in the country. And not to mention the half a million or so websites that were blocked or removed by authorities. For Katja and Sasha, to access anything outside state-supported news and apps was now only possible by using a VPN to mask that location. I've traveled a bunch. You always like uh, have a moment of, oh, I don't have to use VPN anymore. And then you come back to Russia and you're like, oh, shit, I have to use VPN again all the time. <laughs> Honestly, you get used to it. You get used to a lot of things, which is kind of sad, but that's what it is. I was very, very afraid because there were some rumors in spring, last spring, that they would like cut off, cut us off from the global internet, like for good. And like, I don't mind dying, like, but I would 
I would hate to be turned off from my international friends because they matter so much to me. It's a big part of why I love figure skating so much. I also think it's quite funny, uh, like you will see the pro-Russian government people on Twitter sometimes. You can't always tell if it's like people being genuine and you're like, this is a blocked, <laughs> this is a blocked app. This is a blocked, uh, you know, thing that you're using. Why are you still using it? Nothing makes sense. And well, that's the, th the first thing you have to accept about Russia, like even at a better time, uh, the social media, if it's banned, but you post there, it's not like the government will close its eyes on it. But you never know, it's always a gamble. Although it does not really matter if someone wants to get you, they will, I probably should not say anything about it. I'm self-censoring myself through this whole thing because I did not say the word. The word. The word you have probably noticed by now we haven't said yet. The word that's banned in Russia. The word that's the reason why I can't tell you my friends' real names or what they do for a living. There is always news about, like, someone being snitched on by their colleague, by their university mate. Some stuff about some people being, you know, detained because of the most innocent things. That three-letter word that if said out aloud or even written online could get them detained or worse. In Russian, it's vaina, the war. Well, we can't say the war, so we put it under asterisks on social media or we just refer it as to say that time or when that started. Some people use like 24 February. Uh, and everyone knows what you mean. On the 24th of February, 2022, Russia began a full-scale land invasion of neighboring Ukraine. For us here in Australia, it's so far away, it might not even seem real. But for Katya and Sasha, it was the day that their world changed forever. I think for us uh, here in Australia, it, it took everyone by surprise. Um, did you have any idea it was about to happen? Oh, I, uh, the last kind of peaceful day, uh, it was when I went to a friend in another town for that day. We were like sitting at a bar drinking craft beer. I think already there were like, there were rumors we were trying not to believe it because it's very hard to believe like that this the the thing this horrible it will happen uh like we got quite drunk and i, sta I started uh, just crying and i already felt this stress and then the next day i woke up Sirens rang out across Kyiv. Authorities confirmed Russian troops had crossed the border into the country. Explosions were heard across the country before sunrise. From the north to the south, Ukraine is under attack. 
and I had to go to work. Work was not very busy at that day because I think people were quite shocked as well. And I told to my coworker that I don't know how to keep living. But I did cry a lot that morning, like a lot. We did feel like the sky fell, fell on us, like the world was crushed. That spring, I thought that the Western countries would do something like, I was pretty sure that they would like, I don't know, destroy Moscow or something. And I was like, I was like waiting for this. It was like half shock, half terror. There was this complete sense of like things are never gonna be the way they were. We were trying to support each other with like friends and stuff, like trying to distract each other. But honestly, the first like week, which was just like, you know, that utter despair. March in Russia is usually, it's like, it's another month of deep winter. The snow never melts in March. It's like winter extended. But that March, it was very, very sunny. And I remember the snow melting and kids playing in the playground quite loud. And I remember being like, just just being lost. And I remember looking at the buildings around me and imagining it all like crumbling. I expected for it to happen. Like, I remember also <laughs> this this day and I remember I sent you a message and I sent, like, is there a way I can help you leave Russia? I just wanted to ask how, at the time, did this kind of reaction make you feel? <laughs> oh, I, I don't remember what I how I replied to you and I hope it was not harsh because I obviously know that you, like, care about us. But... Mostly it would make me feel mad, I think. I did not ask for this. You just, you cannot decide this for other people. You just, you cannot tell them what to do. Because I know the feeling of home, like uh, the taste of my, my mother's cooking. So I ended up loving the city where I live, despite it being the center of this whole thing. It is the feeling of home, what, what can I say? Like... Uh, so I'm just grateful for friends who don't know that there are still like living, breathing people here. Because when people think that all Russians are like internet bots, well, then you don't know the world at all. I'm quite surprised how people can just so easily say Russia's just fucked, like the people there are so fucked. If, you, if that's something that you, you heard people say, like, what, what is your response to that sort of argument? I mean, it's not really an argument, is it? Like, uh, a lot of them just don't think what it's like living in a dictatorship like this. This is a terrifying reality. And in an authoritarian country like this, where they don't consider, like, the amount of protests that have been held here and how they have been suppressed. They don't think about how the people sent to war are from the poorest regions. They have family to feed, 
they are being promised large sums of money and they don't have anyone to tell them that it's all a lie. The thing is that there are so many people here and to just say that, oh, an entire country deserves to just like choke or whatever, like, do you hear yourself? <laughs> like my approach has been to just do what I can in the situation that I'm in. I don't think that me personally leaving the country would help me or anyone. Meanwhile, while I'm here, I know places where I could help, including uh, people from Ukraine that end up here. That's what I want to do. That's what I'll continue to do. After the war started, many waves of economic and trade sanctions were imposed on Russia from countries all around the world, notably the EU, the US, and even Australia. The postal service from Australia to Russia had closed during COVID, only to never reopen. Now you can't even send a postcard. Is this the whole, is the whole, <laughs> did you bring the whole? <laughs> It's like, it's, it's a lot, <laughs> like this whole, uh, okay. I think it's like, I think it's like maybe eight kilos or something. <laughs> well, it's, it's good that I have uh, this one. My luggage to Turkey was half filled with gifts and letters for Katya from her friends all around the world who couldn't even send something as simple as a figure skating magazine. It matters a lot. <laughs> I will choose. It might seem trivial, but there's more to sanctions than not having access to your favourite magazine. It impacted almost all imported goods to Russia, from clothing to medicine to food. I can't tell you what Katya does for a living, but I can tell you she knows better than most the effects some of these sanctions have had on the average person living their lives under the current regime. There was like recently another packet of sanctions and it's like it involves the medical stuff. Like there was a moment when you could hardly get antibiotics. People who take uh, like antidepressants, stuff like that. You know, these great traumatic events happens and you have people who were depressed in the first place and then all this as well. So we had some number of suicides, but it does not touch the people who have like power and money, obviously. The main point is that people who are starving and people who have been starving before, they won't be more motivated to uprise. They are just thinking about the next day. People who whose job is now much harder because of the lack of supplies, uh, it will be harder for them, uh, but the only thing they will do is either leave the country, which many people have done, or they will just adapt and continue to work as it is. It's hard to believe that things can get much worse than your country going to war, but it did. 
Vladimir Putin is uh, tonight in Russia declaring that this partial military mobilization will begin today, so September 21. Uh, it was written into the Russian press these last days saying that they will close the border and forbid the Russian to exit the country if they should be mobilized. Russia, like many countries, has mandatory military service for men between 18 and 27 years old. The notifications began to pour out to men who are now obliged to participate in armed conflict. People who are like going through this short obligatory military service, technically they're not supposed to be thrown in the actual military action, but of course they still are. Immediately after mobilization started, like people have started uh, disappearing and people who weren't supposed to be at the front, people have been finding them among the ones dead in action. Fortunately for now, women are much less affected by mobilization. But for Sasha especially, the mobilization was a time of even greater anxiety. My brothers, uh, one of them has been living with my parents. Uh, the other has been in Russia when the war started. And I was very worried about him because, well, he's already been quite depressed. But now, because when mobilization started, he quite literally uh, couldn't really leave the house uh, for the fear of being like grabbed on the street. Luckily, lucky for us, uh, he managed to uh, get a foreign passport. He managed to leave just in time before like there was like a second round of mobilizations. Right when the mobilization started and I was sitting waiting for a bus on a bus stop and uh, uh, some grandpa uh, sits down next to me and I hear him speaking on the phone with his, I don't know, maybe son or grandchild. And his grandchild, he got the notification. He was, obviously, he was quite devastated. It's quite complicated because it's never been a stable place to live. The older generations, they also have been through quite a lot. In uh, the 90s, when the Soviet Union fell apart, uh, like, you just did not have food to feed to your kids just it was a very hard time but i suppose they they also survived that and one of the older generations people who talked to me uh said like i thought the horrible times only came for us but i'm so sorry that it came for you as well my mom didn't get didn't really get when i really wanted to go like volunteer in Europe for the refugees. There was a period of time when I left Russia. I think even before that, I became aware that there were people who were uh, helping refugees, Ukrainian people who ended up in Russia. I also found out that there are people in Europe who help them not just like near Ukraine, but also in Estonia. And that's where I first uh, started volunteering. Uh, later on, when I was in Europe, I went to Przemysl in Poland, and there were volunteers from everywhere. I'm pretty sure a lot of them were queer. It was kind of like a queer commune, but also they were from like different parts of the world. There was like, there were also people from Russia, 
people who were from Russia but have left it long ago, like from Belarus, uh, from Ukraine. It was quite amazing. So I had known about Sasha's volunteering in Estonia and in Poland, but what I didn't know before I talked to her was that she was planning on volunteering with Ukrainian refugees internally, the ones who got stuck on the wrong side of the front and have no choice but to flee the war into Russia. It's something that, if it wasn't obvious, is not acknowledged or encouraged by the Russian government. Being in Russia, you know, there's there's a bigger chance of uh, me being detained by by what uh, because of what I write on social media, right? Like whatever you do, you you like you may get in trouble. It, like, and you may do nothing and still get in trouble. Uh, so. At some point when Sasha went volunteering, I was I was not scared for her because, well, if you are alive, it is a privilege. Like many people are not alive by this point. In my heart, I was like, please do come back someday because on a time like this, you, you have to, in your heart, be like half prepared for them not to come back. We're not fortune tellers. Do you think about the future? Like, because I I think about it. Like, I want to think about a future where I can go to a figure skating competition with you guys again. And I like, I want that so badly, but I don't know what, how long it will take or what has to happen. There's a word that opposition media and uh, protesters stuff use the beautiful Russia of the future and like I want to believe it can happen somehow. It's hard to imagine something specific like the government will be overthrown because who the fuck knows. And it's obviously devastating and just very very horrible what is happening to Ukraine. We have to know that behind all these headlines there are real people who died, Ukrainian people who are dead, who did not do anything bad in their life. It's really hard to not say, like, I'm terribly sorry in every sentence. You can't win here. You can't. You just let it go and then you do what you can. So I just try to keep some hope for us all to, like, meet again somehow. Like, I just, I just need to hold on to that. <laughs> and I'm also holding on to the day I'll be able to see my friends again. The day when, inevitably, the war ends. Until then, I want to remember the Russia that is my friends, that is the people there. Something bigger and better and more beautiful than just a photo of a dictator or a headline of war. <laughs> it's hard to say goodbye, knowing that day is still something so, so far away. So, do I just hug you? It's been so good to see you. Maybe I'll see you next year, maybe hopefully in, in Tashkent, on the Tashkent Metro. <laughs> yeah, even, even if you believe in us, for being strong and amazing and very good friends, it's been a great time. It's been a great time. I love you. I love you so much.
Remember Me When the War Is Over was produced by Nicola van der Wettering. The sound engineer was Tom Henry. And I want to extend my thanks to Katja and Sasha. We hear you. And before you go, if you enjoyed this episode of Earshot and want to hear more about Russia's secretive world, I recommend you take a listen to Take Me to Your Leader's special podcast on Yevgeny Prigozhin, Vladimir Putin's former chef and Wagner Group boss who turned against Putin in a short-lived rebellion. So who is Yevgeny Prigozhin and can he survive Putin's hit list? So Yevgeny Prigozhin started his career as a criminal. He became a hot dog vendor, then graduated into more high-end restaurateur jobs. And that's where he ran into Vladimir Putin, who, of course, was deputy mayor of St. Petersburg at the time. Monica, what happens to Prigozhin now? He's said to be going into exile in Belarus. Obviously, Lukashenko, the president of Belarus, is pretty much beholden to Putin. Is Prigozhin confident that he'll be safe there, or does he perhaps find his way out of a a very tall window of an apartment building. I think for the very first time in about probably six months, you can we can make jokes about people falling out of windows or drinking poison tea and, and, and know that it's not a joke. I can't see that Prigozhin lives. I can't see that he survives this. Putin uh, is a man who does not tolerate traitors. That's Take Me to Your Leader, hosted by Hamish MacDonald. Find it on the ABC Listen app. Next time on Remember Me... When Nell and her daughter Caitlin moved into an old timber shop, strange things started happening. They saw a lady with a bouffant haircut sitting in their lounge room. There were unexplainable smells in the kitchen, clothes and books moving and disappearing. How does that happen? That's next time on Earshot with me, Miyuki Okiranta. I'll catch you then. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.